This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Here in the Northern Rockies, dark winter months are outlasted in basements, dens, and nooks, where kindred souls gather together to share intel, swap fly patterns, and relive the memories from seasons past. This gathering spot known locally as the February Room is the inspiration for this podcast. No matter the season, the door is always open to those with a fly fishing story to tell. Brought to you by CD Fishing USA, the North American distributor for composite development fly rods and accessories. 40 years of Kiwi ingenuity and graphite technology now available at cd-fishing.us or your local CD USA dealer. Follow us on Instagram, YouTube, and Facebook. And remember to go fishing. Here's your host, the Carnops, and this is the February Room. Indigenous to the Pacific Northwest and Rocky Mountains, uh, the whitefish is a bellwether species requiring cold, clear water for survival. A healthy population of whitefish translates to a healthy watershed. And while the whitefish is considered by some anglers as annoying bycatch, they're uh, always welcome at the end of my line. Um, and today we have the pleasure of speaking with an Oregon angler who recently caught a mammoth whitefish that eclipsed the previous state record and is the pending world record. Alex Dietz, welcome to the February Room. Thank you so much. Well, let's just dive right into the meat of this thing. Um, tell me about uh, the day and the setting when you encountered this fish. Yeah, for sure. So um, it was December, it was cold, it was rainy. Um, and actually, uh, me and one of my buddies went fishing. And um, it was steelheads closed this year on the Deschutes, so we were just fishing for trout. And... Uh, Probably about an hour, hour and a half in, I hooked into a big fish, and uh, my buddy Jason was fishing probably, I don't know, 200 feet away from me, 300 feet away, and saw that I had something going on and reeled up and came over, and uh, 
we managed to get the whitefish in the net and that's uh that's kind of when we both started cracking up and just celebrating <laughs> so so you knew kind of right away that you had a special one obviously uh, i mean it's definitely the biggest whitefish that i've ever caught um so yeah that was something to celebrate but um i'd also you know never seen one that big before either so when did it when did it occur to you guys that uh, that this might be a potential record sized fish? Uh, I don't think it really set in until we you know took some pictures and um, we were really almost letting the fish go. I mean, I had the fish all the way out of the net in the water with just my hand on its tail, kind of reviving the fish, getting them ready to go back, and uh, we kind of made a last minute decision to to keep it and to weigh it and and so um at at that point did you did you have any idea or understanding of the process of how to uh how to uh submit a world record or is that something you you popped on your phone and googled on your way home how'd that work (laughs) yeah i had no idea what to do um so yeah we we uh i googled it on my phone as soon as we were off the water just to kind of see what it was um, and I think I knew that it was somewhere in the four, you know, high four, low five, something like that. But, uh, yeah, I had no idea how to go about the process of, um, getting it weighed, getting all of the signatures and pictures and all of that stuff. Um, but yeah, I pulled it all up on the internet and didn't have too tough a time getting it done. And you were able to find a certified scale in your hometown of Bend, correct? Yeah. Um, yeah, it's really, it's only uh, any scale that's used to, like, sell products to the public that has to be registered by the Department of Agriculture here in Oregon. So, like, a grocery <laughs> so, store. So, it, it's not too, <laughs> not too hard <laughs> to find a certified scale in Bend, Oregon. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, uh, but yeah, Newport was super great about uh, letting me, you know, they just weighed the fish for me right there at the meat counter. And, uh, you know, we signed some paperwork and then some guys came out of the back and were like, hey, we heard you caught a big white fish. We want to see it. Where would you catch it? What did it eat? All this stuff. Like the, the, fisher, the fishermen from the, the grocery store came out and all wanted to check it out. But, uh, but yeah, they were they were great about it. One of them didn't have a mullet by chance, did he? With with kind of reddish hair. Uh, I don't know. Are you talking about Billy? Billy, the tall guy. Billy, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I tell you the truth. I used to work at Newport Market when I was in high school, and uh, I worked with him. Um, but no, one of them wasn't Billy. But I'm sure I probably should have had him call Billy on the uh, loudspeaker and tell him to get to the meat department to check out this whitefish. But that's funny. Well, yeah, to tell you the truth, I used to work at Newport Market in high school. And, <laughs> <Nice>. uh, <laughs> yep. And, uh, one evening I was, uh, rolling out of work and, uh, Billy and there was another guy that used to work there who was a big angler. He's not there anymore. Um, they were huddled around a truck and a cooler. Um, and so I went over there to go take a look. And this was, this was, um, you know, we're talking like, in 1989 maybe 88 or something and um and they had this massive bass in a cooler and uh yeah and i mean it took up like you know the entire 
like that standard size old igloo cooler sitting on ice and uh, it had come out of Crane Prairie and uh, and at the time like you know the Crane Prairie wasn't a bass fishery back then that was still mm -hmm. a, a trout very much a trout trophy trout fishery and so that was like the first one of the first bass I'd ever seen that came out of Crane and that thing must have been I mean I don't I don't want to speculate on the size but it was it took up an entire cooler it was a a massive bass wow. but uh yeah that's funny man <laughs> yeah that's hilarious yeah that, well that's world. cool yeah. no doubt no doubt uh that's yeah. great i didn't even know that billy still worked there that was just a shot in the dark oh yeah um cool uh so the paperwork that you submitted is that something that you uh that you did online on your phone or printed out or how that, yeah, how that you, worked? Uh, so for the state record, you, um, you just print out a piece of paper and you fill it out and you send in some pictures and, uh, info about, you know, where you weighed it and who was there and get the signatures from a couple witnesses and stuff like that. Um, the IGFA world record, um, the stuff to fill for, fill out for that. It's actually all online. Um, but it's a lot more intensive. There's a lot more questions that they ask. Um, you know, they want pictures of the scale. They want the accrediting, uh, body that, uh, verifies the scales accurate. Um, you know, a way master for the scale, uh, there's a little bit more info and then they want all the info, you know, what rod did you catch it on? What line did you catch it on? What was your tippet size? What fly was it? And and you have to take pictures of all that. I mean, I looked into this a little bit here before before I yep. uh, started chatting with you. And it, it uh, according to the IGFA, they've got a, a pretty nice video on their website that kind of explains the process. But it says that you need photos of the angler with the fish, photos of the rod and reel used, and uh, photos of the scale. So yep. you... you you navigated that entire process and, and yeah. documented all of that. Yep. Submitted all that stuff. Um, it was a little tricky, you know, finding out who a credit or who verifies the scales in bend for the Oregon department of agriculture. But um, I made a couple phone calls and they were super helpful and got me all dialed in. Wow. That's awesome. And um, so that was just back in December. So the, the process of verifying it for the state record went rather quickly. Yeah. Yeah. The state record went pretty quick. Um, I think they just came out last week for the IGFA and said that it's pending. So. So, wow. So pending world record. And it the fish was five pounds, 12 ounces that you caught, correct? Yep. And the, the, the current world record is five pounds, eight ounces. I believe so, yeah. Okay, okay. Well, cool. Well, I assume that you were nymph fishing when you encountered this beast, correct? Oh, yeah. Yep. What, uh, are you Are you going to divulge which bug it ate, or where are we uh, at on there? <laughs> yeah, it ate, uh, it ate an egg pattern, um, and uh, yeah, we'll just leave it at that. I was nymphing. All right, uh, sounds good. But yeah, it's kind of a, a fly that I like to use. But um, caught some trout that day, caught a big sucker, and, uh, and this was actually the... Well, I caught one white fish before this that was pretty big too, but I don't think it was this big at all. So yeah, it kind of seemed like this was... Uh, 
that day that we went fishing, I caught two big white fish. This the the record being one of them, but uh, I don't know if it's their eating salmon eggs and getting fat or what the deal is, but um, they were healthy. Well, I think the whitefish kind of spawn around that time in the shoots too, don't they? I think so, yeah. So you, you may have encountered it at its full girth when it was all yep. gorged up on on uh, on all sorts of eggs. Um, so, well, yeah, well, hey, man, congratulations. That's super cool. You know, that's, a, that's kind of a, to me, it's a really amazing record because... In a lot of cases, folks that pursue these records, you know, say, okay, I'm going to go catch the world record uh, peacock bass on four pound line class tippet, right? And if you like set your mind to, to, you know, make your goal of encountering or making your goal of eclipsing a certain record like that, and you have the resources to do it, there's a pretty good chance that you could go get something like that done, right? Yeah. But... But here we have, this is a, a, a fish that we catch all the time, that everybody that fishes throughout the Rockies and throughout the West, um, we all catch whitefish on a regular basis. Um, so mm-hmm. to catch one that's the world record, I think is pretty awesome. So congratulations. Thank you. Um, so this is funny. Uh, when I when I moved to Montana for the first time in the mid-90s to to um to go you know quote unquote go to school um out in bozeman um my buddies and i uh for some wintertime uh, activity we decided to have a white fishing tournament on the yellowstone and i don't remember the exact parameters of the tournament how long it lasted i think it was a month but uh but i don't recall all the details i know that the grand prize was an 18 pack of strohs and nice. um so we had to you had to stick with one fly throughout the whole not one fly but one pattern, uh-huh. and um, and I ended up winning you know I was kind of the dark horse right out of bend, um, but I ended up winning the tournament on a beadhead rubber legs hairs ear. That's right. a, that's a pretty good day in day out whitefish fly. Yeah, but uh, but but you got her done on the egg pattern. Yeah. So actually. Uh funny story flying field here in bend every year does a uh, whitefish derby and it's so it's a tournament to see who can catch the biggest and most whitefish you've got a uh, so you meet at the shop at seven and they give you a tape like an official tape measure and uh, you've got a five fish bag limit but it's all catch and release so you catch them measure them on the bank real quick toss them back and uh it's one point for every inch and uh you get five fish so i think the winner this year had like a 91 or a 92 just crushed it got it so this but your fish wasn't part of the derby no no this was after the. this was actually like back in i think it was in november yeah one of my buddies actually texted me um, and asked me, he's relatively new to fly fishing, but he's just a fanatic. He's a, a pro snowboarder and a snowboarding rep guy who's been around Ben for a long time. But anyway, he, uh, he texted me cause he was, he was going to participate in that derby and asked me what fly he thinks I should go with. So, you know, I just, I recommended that beadhead rubber leg hairs ear. Yeah. Um, and he's caught a lot of fish on it. So, but he, he was, uh, he was privy to your. To your record, he was one of the first people that that sent me the the link to that whitefish <laughs> record. So, and my sister was actually the first. So she's a 
a school teacher at Bend High. Um, oh, cool. So anytime, yeah, anytime there's a, a news clipping relative to fly fishing, she, she shoots it to me right away. So, well, cool, man. Um, so in, in addition to, uh, to, you know, your whitefish count, this isn't, uh, you know, you've done a lot of fishing. I looked at your Instagram page and you've traveled quite a bit and done some really cool stuff. Can you tell us about some of your experiences? I saw a, a trigger fish on there. I'd like to hear more about that. I've never caught one. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I guess it kind of all started, um, after college, I moved to San Diego with some buddies, actually my buddy that, uh, I was fishing with when I caught that whitefish and another friend. And, uh, that's when I started saltwater fly fishing and it was a game changer for me. Um, I just loved it. And my dad had been bone fishing one time down in Andros when I was in, I think it was right when I went off to college, he went and uh, he told me about it and I was like, oh man, I gotta go. And that's kind of how I started saltwater fly fishing is um, went to Andros and fished down there for a while, but- um, Well, that'll do it. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> uh, but yeah, the trigger fish was something that I hadn't really encountered um, until I went to Christmas Island for the first time. Um, I mean, I've seen them in Hawaii and stuff, you know, the small ones. Some people call them Picassos or the Huma Huma Nuka Nuka Apuaha or whatever. Nice, nice job. Hawaii. Thank you. Uh, but um, yeah, the big, like the peach face triggers, the mustache triggers. Um, those are mainly where I've seen them as Christmas Island. Um, but yeah, super frustrating, super picky, almost like permit status where they'll, you know, look at your fly and just say, nope, don't want anything to do with that. Um, but yeah, they're really finicky. Um, they're great fighters. And when you hook them, they love to go in little holes and hide from you. But, um, but yeah, they're super fun to catch, super fun to target, easy to spot on the flats because they have a massive tail that they're usually sticking up out of the water and they wave it around like a flag. So they're um, a lot easier to spot, which is for me great because, you know, I wear I've got a tough enough time seeing anything in the water. How, and did you, did you catch more than one of them? Uh, yeah, I've caught a couple. Um, you know, actually where I've probably caught the most is uh down in Baja it's a little huh. bit different type of trigger they're like darker um they're almost all black or gray um but they're super fun to catch down there I think it's a different species but you know same idea they eat the same stuff um they've got the same kind of sharp teeth they're not sharp but super powerful they'll you know bite your finger off if you get your finger in there I've had them bite hooks in half um i mean legit you hook the fish you're fighting it fly pops out you look at it and they've bit the shank of the hook clear in half and you've got you know no pointy end left huh yeah man that's cool um you know i've seen them snorkeling and i've seen a few on the flats i didn't spend a lot of time on them um you know i made a cast or two at them i'm like ah, oh, that's not a that's not a game fish and kind of moved on. And, and then, you know, later in life, I realized that, uh, it's a, those are a really coveted game fish. And uh, as you mentioned, um, 
you know, folks uh, devote a lot of time and energy into trying to fool them. And they're like uh, even more picky than permit. A lot of people, a lot of people believe. So, um, yeah, yeah, that's cool. And, um, yeah, you got to be uh, you got to be geared up properly because they will bite through anything. Right. Yeah, I've actually I started tying on a different hook just for trigger fish so they can't bite through it. But, uh, yeah, they're uh, they're definitely frustrating. Interesting. Um, and in, in your travels in Christmas Island, did you encounter some, some GTs too? Yeah. Um, yeah, you, you'll see like a lot of baby GTs, um, but we definitely saw some, you know, full-grown monsters out there. Um, I managed to hook one nice one, not a monster, but probably 25 pounds, maybe 30 pounds out in Christmas Island um, and land it, which was super fun. But uh, the spot where I caught the really big GT was uh, actually in Otataki in the Cook Islands. Oh, okay. It's kind of down by... Uh, I think it's Tahiti, but you fly from LA to Rarotonga and then it's a little jumper out to Otataki, but similar to Christmas Island, a little bit more developed, I would say, um, actually a lot more developed than Christmas Island in my opinion. Um, but still super cool, um, very remote, um, great bone fishing and lots of GTs, um, even saw some big wrasse out there too so that was that was cool couldn't get any of them to eat but uh they were cool to see at least yeah those fish are a bugger too to to get them to bite oh yeah my problem was i'd get it right in front of the wrasse and then all these little like you know 10 pound bluefin trevallis would come out of nowhere and just eat the fly right out of his mouth Oh, cool. Yeah, like a little lampreys or something. Yeah, exactly. Little rats. Well, what do you do to uh what do you do to support this fly fishing habit of yours? What's uh what's your career? What's your day job? Um, so I work for a lumber company. Um prior to this, I was uh prior to moving to Bend, I was selling lumber down in Northern California and uh I was actually trying to move up to Bend. And all of a sudden, a job opened up with the same company uh, selling windows up here in Bend. And uh, I was like, oh, this is me. I'm doing it. So I made the transition from uh, selling lumber to selling windows. And I've been up here enjoying it ever since. Awesome. And and so you've been in Bend um, for for most of your your life, right? Uh, I grew up here. I bounced around a little bit after college. Like I said, I was in San Diego for a while um, and then bounced around to a couple spots in in Northern California for a while, but um, super happy to be back in Bend now. Cool. So in in addition to the Deschutes, uh, where else do you like to fish around there? Uh, I really like to fish um, the Cascade High Lakes um, in the summertime uh, out of a boat, just enjoying that. Um, I really like to, uh, fish some spots down in Northern California. I got super into, uh, bass fishing on the fly and that was usually my go-to in the summertime down there, um, is just throwing big frog poppers for largemouth. Um, but I fish the hard, Trinity. Hard down to beat here. that, man. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. I love sure. that stuff too. I love that stuff. Yeah. But uh, I'll go chase steelhead over on the coast. Um, but yeah, mainly I stick around here, high lakes and the Deschutes. Those are my, if I'm fishing around here, that's probably where I'm going. Well, cool. I just, I remembered this other whitefish story. Um, I, I was fishing, this is again, quite a while ago, but I was down um, above mopping mm-hmm. and um, steelhead fishing and, and got a whitefish and... Uh, and as I was bringing it in, this big blue heron flew down and landed right next to me. And wow. I'm a ways up from mopping, like um, you know, I'm up above, um, up above Wapanisha, um, <clears throat> a few miles up, you know, above like the locked gate up there. And uh, and this heron's like, you know, eyeing me and making me a little nervous. I mean, they're a big bird with a beak about a foot long. And it's like kind of looking at me. I'm like, well, is this thing going to attack me? What's going on here? And as I go to release the whitefish, it's looking at the whitefish. So I just kind of flop the whitefish over in the water next to it. And it reaches down and grabs it and gulps it and flies off. Wow. (laughs) Yeah, isn't that crazy? Because I wasn't in like, you know, it's not like I wasn't in a a heavy populated area, right? Like not like catching one in City Park or something where they where they see a ton of anglers. Obviously, there's quite a few fishermen that go through there. But I was surprised that there would be a heron that was um, that was, uh, you know, geared to to taking a whitefish off someone's line like that. Yeah, totally. Crazy. It's pretty crazy, man. Um, do you have any other uh, any other fishing stories you can recall? Anything that happened to you out there that uh, that was a misadventure or, or an adventure or something that sticks in your mind? You've done a lot of cool stuff. Uh, you know, there was there was one one battle from uh, earlier this, or I guess it was twenty twenty one that was that stands out for sure. Um, I was we were tarpon fishing. And I was with one of my buddies. We went down with another couple, and we fished with our wives for a couple days. And then the guys went out, and uh, we were fishing for big migratory tarpon. And uh, my buddy, he's never caught a big, huge tarpon before. So he's on the bow just casting, 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 kind of blind casting into a little bit deeper water with an intermediate line. That uh, So we got in a full, full intermediate line on a reel from the lodge that we were at. And, uh, it was on an okay reel and, uh, it was a 10 weight, which was maybe a little undergun for these big, huge tarpon. And, uh, anyways, he hooks one on this 10 weight intermediate line on this reel that we got from the lodge, big fish, you know, hundred plus pounds and, uh, starts, you know, the fish goes crazy, takes out a bunch of line we finally, you know, chase the fish down in the skiff, get the fish back on the fly your fly line on the reel, and we tighten the drag all the way down and we just can't hold this fish with the ten weight in this reel. And uh after about maybe forty five minutes or an hour of fighting this fish, the guide goes, All right, we're switching rods. And what? I said, What? Okay. <laughs> what? And he said, Yep, this is how we're gonna do it. He said, uh, okay, Alex, I had a uh, 12 weight with a super powerful reel on it. And he said, strip off all the fly line from that reel until you get the, or strip off all the fly line until you get to the, the backing out of the tip. 
we did that and uh he takes the the backing and he cuts my double bimini off right behind the fly line so he's got you know six inches of double or i guess it's four pieces of backing that are cut and he said okay alex you get on the boat put it in gear and just follow the fish and he has my buddy matt reel up until his fly line is right at the tip and what he does is we're following the fish around he grabs the fly line takes my backing and ties a clinch knot through the uh backing through the back of the fly line and then cuts the other the 10 weight backing off of it and he said you know reel in get this fly line on your reel because this knot's not you know not super strong and all of a sudden we were fighting the fish on this you know super strong reel on a 12 weight and uh within 15 minutes we had the fish you know by the boat unfortunately we were in uh super, we weren't in super deep water but we were in probably 15 feet of water and uh so my buddy's been fighting this fish for maybe an hour 15 hour 20 and uh the guide was like okay be careful because when he gets close to the boat and we try and land him you know or not land him but just get the fly out of his mouth um he's gonna want to try and go under the boat and you've got that drag super tight anyways we try and land the fish the guy touched the leader and everything so it's counted but uh the fish just darted straight under the boat and you have to you know get your rod around the bow of the boat so you don't snap your rod unfortunately that didn't happen and uh we snapped a 12 weight, like maybe an inch, <laughs> up, inch up from the cork. It was nuts. <laughs> uh, it sounded like a bomb going off when it broke. But, uh, and then but, about the, 30, but the switcheroo, the switcheroo worked. The switcheroo worked. And it was so, I mean, it was the craziest. It was the most wild thing I've seen fighting a fish in a long time. It was a full blown three man rodeo in the skiff for like 10 minutes. That's one of the craziest switcheroo stories I've ever heard. Yeah. It was wild. <laughs> so so the rod blows up, and then what happens? Rod blows up, and then uh, about 30 seconds later, where he was trying to fight the fish just from the reel, uh, that didn't happen. And uh, the fish, well, the tippet broke is what happened. I think we were fishing 80-pound, like, hard mono, and... He just, the fish rubbed through it or something and it broke. And uh, so the top three sections of the 12 weight go down to Davy Jones' locker. And uh, <laughs> my buddy, he's like, oh, you got to, we got to get that back so you can send it back. He just jumps into the ocean <laughs> <laughs> and uh, dives down to try and go get it. And he, he found it right away. It was floating kind of right underneath the surface but uh we got the rod back we didn't get the fish but uh we got a crazy story and uh a great memory so oh man that is awesome that's great thank you for sharing that that is a excellent excellent yarn man <laughs> yeah how cool 
Well, good. Well, I think that's a good one to end it on, uh, Alex. Um, yeah. If folks, if folks want to follow you and, and uh, keep up with your adventures, how should they do that? What's, uh, what's your Instagram handle? Uh, my Instagram is uh, photofishing. It's P-H-O-T-O-F-A-F-I-S-H-I-N. Photofishing. Go to thefebruaryroom.com where you can access a complete library of our podcast and read more about our guests, their fishing stories, and favorite fly patterns. We're always looking for exceptional fly fishing yarns, and if you have one to spin, shoot us an email at info at thefebruaryroom.com. The February Room is always free, but if you feel like throwing a nickel in the pond, we appreciate any additional listener support. For companies and individuals interested in sponsorship opportunities, please contact us for our media kit. Thanks for stopping by the February Room, and we'll see you down here next week.